0: episode 445 of the on a podcast brought to you by the Blue Eye Podcast Network. I'm Ian Hilton. I'd like to welcome back to the show from Sampre Positivo. It's Rick Sharma. Welcome back to the show, Rick. Thanks, Dan. It's been a while. How are you doing? Doing well enough. I think just like y'all over at Sampre Positivo, we push through the negative. We try to get to the positive and some people <laughs> jump, jump ship when the things get too negative. And I think we are going to be talking about today a lot of We'll say the more negative aspects of the discussion around Xavi, around Barcelona's manager, this is the first time in a few weeks we've had no midweek games. So it's time to kind of get into the weeds on a big topic. So today we're basically answering one question and then that could lead us in a ton of potentially different directions where you and I are not really sure where. Usually I make a whole rundown and all our little topics, but no, one question, we'll see that where it takes us. And so let's rip the bandaid off really quickly and almost try to answer it at the start and see if we change our answer by the end. And Rick, I'll ask you very plainly, is Xavi's style, and I'm adding no caveats to that, is Xavi's style more like Mourinho and Simeone than Guardiola and the school of Cruyff?
1: My answer is going to be no, but I will, add, I will add some caveats. I think that if you looked at, for example, only the recent Copa del Rey game against Real Madrid semi-final, you could say that was an almost perfect demonstration of, of Simeone's style. So, so while I don't think Xavi's style is... Closer to Simeone's style than, than to that of Cruyff or Pep Guardiola. I do believe there are certain aspects of it that he's leaning into and quite reasonably with the squad that he's got.
0: Yeah, I've got a lot of different reasons for why no is the answer. And I agree ultimately with that first one off the top, right? It's the limitations of the squad and that style that seems to be born out of necessity, brought on by financial calamity, as opposed to a pragmatic approach to win trophies, even out of desperation. I still think that Xavi's trying to win, desperately win trophies and doing it any way possible, you know, pragmatically. But yeah, I think the squad out of necessity. I don't know how many times I could say Pedri missing changes the way Barca plays. Like, I, I don't know how many times I could do that.
1: <laughs> well, you say weaknesses of the squad, but you could also say the strengths of the squad are also the reason why he's playing
0: like this. Right. How do you get the best out of Ronald Araujo, his passing, when you switch him at right back and things like that? Yeah. And I think the, when we talk about style, so often I think we begin with formation because how do we make sense of the nuances of each individual players? It's difficult to do that all in digestible tweets and things like that. So I, I think why the first thing I say no is the way that Man City and Arsenal play and other teams that are wanting to play with positional play or high levels of possession, things like that. All of these teams that want to play that way, again, Gordiola, Arteta, Xavi, all the ones you could say came from the school of Kroif. And I actually don't even need any quotes. The the ones that really do model their coaching philosophy, not even strategy, but philosophy after Kroyf, they're all playing in that 3-2-5 buildup. And that is telling that Xavi does want to play that way. He admits that. He says that. It's a matter of, do we believe him? But I guess where we question Xavi then, if he wants to play that way and he's actively, you know that's the the desire of his philosophy. Could we chalk some of him not being able to play that way up to inexperience? Because I think, as I sound like a broken record this season, he generally, 95% of the time this season, I think, comes in each match with the right idea. As if he had done his homework correctly, he studied the opponent correctly, and he knew how to start the game. But then it seems like when the test is handed out and the teacher hands out the test, and it's time for the second half, he doesn't. he's not prepared to adapt. He doesn't know how to write a long-form essay when the topic has changed ever so slightly. Do you think there is anything to that as if his inexperience and the inability will say to adapt at this point with even the squad he has is what makes it look like he doesn't want to play a certain way. But again, in truth, I think Barcelona generally starts every game playing the way that Xavi wants them to play in that game in either a 3-2-5 buildup or whatever the formation is, a 4-3-3 or a, that, that box midfield, regardless of what he goes with.
1: I think if we can say from the start, we put those, those caveats in where we say, yeah, the squad is what the squad is, and we say that the trophies, winning trophies this season is almost non-negotiable, or is non-negotiable for Xavi, then we can start to talk about this topic and and not have to worry that we haven't backed ourselves by putting that there at the start. Because I do think he is obviously inexperienced. This is his first job as a manager in Europe, first job at the helm of a of a huge team. Not that Al Saad isn't a big team in Qatar or, or in the Middle East in terms of the Asian Champions League or whatever, but this is his first job at a sort of a worldwide giant club. So of course there's going to be an experience. And I've always had the feeling that, go back right to the start when he was appointed, he wasn't the first choice for Joan Laporta. He was perhaps third or fourth choice for Joan Laporta in his list of, of managers who we, he'd who rather have replaced Ronald Koeman with. And there was this feeling that if it went wrong for Xavi, then maybe down the line he could leave and later come back to Barca when he has had that experience. And, and got and sort of and won trophies at other clubs before coming back to Barca. If if it went wrong and it, it, that might not happen, he might well win La Liga and the Copa del Rey this season. But I think that yeah, you can see the inexperience. You can see the simple fact is, unless he is outright lying when he says he wants to play in a certain way and he demands the team to play in a certain way, then it you know there has to be his inexperience that's stopping that from happening on the pitch.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, to the way we discuss inexperience, right? Because results are going Xavi's way. If they weren't going a certain way, he would have to answer questions as to why Barcelona aren't winning games. Instead, he's having to answer questions as to why Barcelona are winning, but they're not winning the way that people are asking him to win. And I feel like when Kules and even you and I, like even journalists that, that didn't play at the top level, how do we make sense of inexperience? How do we make sense of somebody who doesn't, who's learning on the job and doesn't entirely know? And I feel like to make a basketball comparison here... I think subs in football are a lot like timeouts in basketball because the average Joe doesn't understand the complexities that are constantly going on over the course of 90 minutes, like the little adjustments, like Xavi isn't just screaming throughout a game, listen to what I said or push or fight. Like some managers are like that, sure. But he, he we're not privy to those nuanced instructions that are given on the bench even by his staff as the game is going on. So all we as just laymen can submit is our suggestions on substitutions, on the timing of them, on who they need to be, on what changes need to be made? And I think the same goes for timeouts in basketball. With NBA coaches or high-level coaches, timeouts are such an easy out. Well, I could see that that team needed a timeout at that time in that moment. Why didn't the coach take one? It was his judge. It was his lack of judgment on that individual one decision. As the same thing with the manager, if he fails to make one to the five subs that I think, if he doesn't put Pablo Torre on in the 82nd minute the way he didn't put on, then he lost Barcelona an opportunity to attack with this piece that was going to, to turn everything over in this match. Not understanding, again, the nuance of a match and the way that getting all your players on the same page, even if you're defending for your life, is sometimes more important than having one or two players not fully prepared for the task at hand to end what is a grueling, suffering, struggling match, which is what Barcelona has done now in La Liga. What? It's eight, one, nothing wins in La Liga to get it done?
1: Yeah, and I think you can also judge an experience by for even without the substitutions, what changes are made on the pitch or what, what tactical reactions Javi has to what other teams are doing. So if let's say the opponents suddenly start to to bombard the team with crosses, maybe you'd think, Okay, so we have to, to shackle their wingers, for example, or force them inside instead of outside if that if that's their main weapon and that sort of thing that you can decide during the game. I think that, that Javi sometimes has lacked in that department in the second half. So he doesn't always show that, that aptness but again, with the condition of the fact that he needs to win games, that's the driving factor. That's the most important thing, regardless of what he says. And I think the discourse, his discourse after the Madrid game and before the Valencia game was interesting. It's the first time I've heard him in the press conference say, sort of explain why the team isn't playing the football that Barca fans associate with it when he was talking about how Madrid pressed Barca in that match and pushed them back and forced them to, to sit in their own box I've never heard Javi speak like that in his sort of year or so, year and a half or whatever in charge of, of Barca until this point. And it was yeah, it was quite interesting because he was basically saying we were incapable of playing the football. There was no way around it. The the fact that the the game has moved to that moved on to that point showed that we couldn't do it. And that has echoed today, I don't know if you have seen this or not, but Robert Lewandowski was speaking to the club with the club today on their official Media, and he was saying about how Barca's football from 10 years ago just simply might not work in the modern, modern day.
0: Yeah, so I, I do want to delve into that. I think you brought up two really interesting directions for us to go. And I want to, we're going to say the intorno and all that stuff. We're going to get back to the intorno and the pressure of being a Barca coach. So well, we're going to circle back because, yeah, I want to go in that direction first and kind of go back in time here to talk about Pep Guardiola and talk about what Barcelona is always going to be compared to forever. So Xavi in the Liga has 37 wins in 50 matches, 7 draws and 6 defeats. So 37 wins, 7 draws, 6 defeats in his first 50 Liga matches and Barcelona picked up 118 points from the 150 available. I know people are immediately going to say, well, what about the Champions League stuff? But again, because Barcelona is not getting as far in the Champions League as they were in the past, I'm not comparing like for like. Of course, that needs to improve. Xavi knows it needs to improve and all that different stuff. But we're just talking strictly about La Liga because that is a trophy that Barcelona needs to win this season. So comparing that to Pep Corleola in his first 50 matches in charge in La Liga, 36 wins, so one less than Xavi, nine draws, two more and five defeats, so one, lost, one less defeat. And a total of 117 points. So very much like for like almost on par with one another. And I think the big difference here to that point is people argue that Xavi has succeeded because Aliyah is weaker now. But going back to, you know, I did try to look back about what made or how Pep Guardiola's ideas and how he was able to stick to it. And... It's not that Pep, Xavi, because of this, not even the squad he has, but because of modern football, and I'll let you add emphasis to this, because of the way that modern football is and tactics have just evolved so much over the course of 10 years, counterattacking is quicker, it's faster, teams from the bottom down, A, their back lines pass better, like goalkeepers pass better than they did 10 years ago, center backs pass better than they did. And those patterns and sequences that get teams out of pressure, because Teams are much more prepared for gegenpressing. They're much more prepared for just a high press, the way Barcelona play, and those high lines. There's a full understanding of what needs to be done that way that Pep Guardiola, looking at his, at his tactics, he went with a 4-3-3 every single match in that 08-09 season in the league, which is the one we're comparing, I guess you'd say, Xavi's full season now too. And it would be, sometimes it would be Busquets and Ceda and Torre in the midfield. Sometimes Torre would play as a center back. Sometimes Kirkitz would be the center forward and would be on the left. But Pep Guardiola had the luxury because you could say that La Liga was better back then, but no, Barcelona and Real Madrid were both better back then than they are today. But it's not like La Liga was that much deeper. There were still good teams. There were still teams that would put, you know, Valencia was a bit better at the time. Athletic Club is ex- almost exactly the same team that they were back then, 10 years ago. <laughs> but I found that, The one thing that I cannot understate, like you cannot just roll your eyes at the idea that having Lionel Messi at 23 years old in his prime, like I looked back and I would see the scores. Oh, 3-1, 4-1, 2-1, whatever it was, it seemed like Messi had a hand in that game. Messi was on another level in 08-09 and even on the right wing, before the whole idea, you know, the El Clásico in 2011. Of course, the great story where Pep Guardiola says, hey, we're shifting you to a false nine. Let's see what happens here. And then, of course, some of the changes later on that had to be made when other players would come in and others would go out, right? Like the arrival of Mascherano, things like that. So those kind of, you know, little roster spots changed. But it seemed like also Barcelona had a squad that was interchangeable in those different roles. And again, that is a huge part of what Pep had the, almost the luxury of doing. Like, yes, he chose to promote Busquets and Pedro because he wanted to fit them in certain spots in his team. But yeah, I just I cannot get beyond. There are again little reasons you can add to this, but I cannot get beyond the fact that that team was not only built around Messi and Xavi and Iniesta, of course, but Xavi and Iniesta. You want to talk about breaking through presses and ball retention? Right now, Barcelona has one player, that being Pedri, who is an elite who is elite at retaining the ball and not conceding possession in important spots on the field, in the center of the field, where an opponent can attack you through the middle and really put Barcelona in the back heels. They have one player. Back in that time, Busquets, his ball retention was, I'd say, even better than it is today. Xavi Iniesta did not lose the ball. And Messi was 23 years old, pressing like a bat out of hell, fighting defensively like we didn't see him do in the last six years. And so having all of those things helping you and having those be your best players is, is, it meant that Pep Guardiola didn't have to make the game-by-game personnel decisions that Xavi has had to do. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Pugliol, or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season, you hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you wanna grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is a global force behind all Birds, Rothies and Linen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com tbpod.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: hundred percent agree. I think those are all very compelling reasons why it's actually very difficult and very futile almost to compare Pep Guardiola's Barca to, to Xavi's Barca. um, The first reason I would say for that is because Xavi's Barca are playing in an era in which Pep Guardiola's Barca have already existed and football has sort of solved the way they played football. Now you you look at teams like, for example, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, who who can play that sort sort of football with players who are physically faster, stronger, and bigger than Pep Guardiola's Barca players ever were. So now teams can play... Sort of both in both styles that, that Barca stood out for being able to compete with any sort of physical team in terms of speed or strength or anything like that. While their players, like including Javier and Iniesta, were I won't say weaklings, but they were you know they were fairly weedy compared to a to a lot of players. And and now nowadays it's the really strong, muscular, fast players who can also have that level of technique and ability which those little Barca players had back in the day. So Xavi's Barca isn't competing in, on fair grounds with the sort of the, the state the game was in during Pep Guardiola's Barca era. And I agree with you. I think that but Barca and Madrid are weaker now, but I don't agree with the idea that La Liga is weaker necessarily because you look at teams like Betis, for example, just off the top of my head, Atletico Madrid, who are, I'd say, significantly stronger than they were back at the sort of late noughties, early tens. I think that generally the level across all teams in Spain is better because of systems like, for example, press, pressing and putting that, that sort of level of pressure on a team. There's almost only so far you can go with it. At this point, when a lot of teams can operate in that way, then suddenly it's, it's a lot harder to do anything, which is kind of agreeing with what Xavi was saying about Real Madrid, mm-hmm. who after the Clasico, where he was like, there's just mm-hmm. nothing we could do and in that instance. Anyone who knows football watching this game would see there was you know very little we, that we could do to, to play it differently certainly with the tools that he had at his at disposal in terms of the squad. So I think that's a, a big factor as well. It's, it's very hard to, to fairly compare the two. And of course, Messi, is, as you said, is, was a cheat code in that era. And Javi has the blessing and the curse of not having Messi. Because with Messi, sure, you can dominate possession, dominate teams, force them back, and then Messi from 30 yards will curl one into the top corner. And that wins you the game, when actually, if you didn't have that cheat code, and he just had, and I, I love Usman Dembele, but let's say Usman Dembele in that position. I mentioned him because I was speaking on Siempre about this recently, and I was saying Dembele was maybe perhaps a player that could get to the top level. He's, in, he's on that sort of trajectory now under Xavi. But at, right at the moment, you know, if that's him on the edge of the box, he probably doesn't score that chance. Mm-hmm. And you've drawn nil-nil. If, Pep, if Pep's Barca had Dembele instead of Messi, swapped them yeah. over. You know, Messi was just unbelievable. It's ridiculous right. to, to compare the teams when when that was when he was a, an eleventh on paper and really thirty percent maybe in terms of actual effects on, on that team.
0: Right, and and you're trying to now compare. Oh, but Lewandowski, goal scoring wise, we're just simply talking about goals. Was supposed to be the output that Messi is, but having Lewandowski then be your main goal scorer is also what changes the face of a team. It changes the function of a team. Remember that. I mean, Samuel Eto'o was like, hey, why are you trying to get rid of me? I, I, I work really hard. I, I score some goals. And so Lewandowski, you're asking him to be Samuel Eto'o. I mean, and even the, 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 same, the same instance about bringing players in today, I'm not sure if things are different. But, I mean, again, Pep Guardiola somehow brought in some voodoo magic to convince Terry Henry, one of the greatest players that the Premier League had ever seen, to play on the left wing. To say, hey, we're going to just kind of stick you out there and stay on the touchline, and it was interesting where I, I worked. I worked at Major League. I, I mean, I'm still there, but I was with Major League Soccer when Terry Henry was for the, the Montreal Impact at the time, but CF Montreal now, and he was a manager. And you might talk about a little under, inexperienced, unqualified, but like we had we had access to a lot of the mic stuff, mic'd up from the sideline, and it was so interesting to hear. Terry Henry just basically screaming, you know, he he had a way of being a little too harsh on the planet, I think, and he's admitted that since, <laughs> but he would just be screaming like the little messages that you knew that he got from like those kind of philosophies, where he would say, you know, why, why, why? And that'd be like one of the main things, like you go through a whole cutscene of him just like screaming, get to the touchline, get to the sideline, get to the sideline, come here, come here, come here, right? And you're just like screaming these, like these simple, you know, we'll say Gordiola like instructions, the way that. Almost emulating what we've seen from Guardiola in training, like that emotion that he brings to. We saw that, of course, that Bayern Munich video where he screams at them in English and he screams at them in German, right? And he, and he goes through the regressions. But it's funny you mentioned Atletico Madrid too, because again, that's a reminder that Atletico Madrid didn't really have their rise until like 2011, 2012. So you're talking three years after we're comparing again the Pep Guardiola 08, 09. Like it was a perfect storm at that moment when we're talking even about philosophy. I mean, this is not coming from me. I've got some quotes here from Gabi, the former, not Xavi and not Gabi, but Gabi, the former <laughs> Atletico Madrid midfielder who played under Simeone and then played with and under Xavi at El Saad in Qatar, right? So Gabi said that Xavi's approach, it won't it opened up his view of the game. He did feel like Simeone's was much more of a practical style that would actually be applicable to a wider range of footballers. And that one, that quote in particular is interesting because it's kind of reinforces what we say, that that Xavi, because Dembele and Rafinha are so, so different, you do have to adapt to the players you have on the field and who is available because they do just entirely different things on the right wing. So you can't say, my right winger does this. My left interior does this. My right interior, I mean, that's the important one. Pedri, to Roberto, like those two players don't do the same thing. So he also said that, that being G- uh, Gabi, I'd come away with playing a certain way under Cholo Simeone, Atletico, that was the opposite style to Xavi. It's obvious that I took more things from Cholo. He got the best out of me. I won a lot with him. And I've been part of a very ambitious team. We weren't the best technically, but we were the best in terms of our belief. I may want possession, but that doesn't always lead you to win. It's a difficult idea to carry out. But the point is that Xavi has always won with this philosophy. That's why he doesn't conceive football in any other way. And I think, again, having a player of that stature, even in El Sad, it's not like Xavi would have changed his principles from the manager of El Saad. Like He has had to adapt And you've seen his experience at the top level. Yes, but I don't think he's going to completely change his philosophy. We know he believes a certain thing. So I think it's almost offensive (laughs) for us to say, no, Xavi is trying to be more like Cholo, Simeone and Mourinho and play that way. And he's choosing to play this, I mean, almost defend in a four-four-two. 2 at a lot of times and defend and suffer and, and things like that. Like, to think that that is the way he wants to play, is it is a bit absurd when you hear from other players, like the, the Barcelona players now, and then even players like Gabi in the past who've worked with both. Like, he's not Simeone. His philosophy is always trying to be closer to that school of Cruyff, almost to a fault here. Because as we said, can you do, still do that in 2023? That's really the question I think we've changed to ask.
1: It's kind of like you want to build a house, and to do that, and you, you think, okay, I'll have a nice house, I'll put a nice balcony in, I'll have a swimming pool. And then you get to, go to your toolkit, and you've only got certain tools. So you could try and do, try and build a house with a swimming pool, but you haven't got a drill, for example. You haven't got anything to dig with. So I think what Javi's doing is, is doing the best that he can to have somewhere to live, while in sort of mid to long term, he can build the house that he wants with a swimming pool and a balcony.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take your analogy too far so that it loses its legs, but I, I feel not only personally attacked, but I know that people from our show knows that two summers or last summer, I spent the whole summer trying to dig up a tree trunk in the back of the, the, you know, and I, but I was using a small, like, what is it? the, The rotary handsaws right. Or I would use an ax, right. And I worked on it for months and months and months. And my wife is like, you're, I know it seems therapeutic for you, but you're not actually getting that stump out of the ground. And when you do, it's like 2,000 pounds. So what are you going to do with it, right? It's in the backyard. <laughs> you don't even have a truck. So eventually we did, again, I don't know how this helps your analogy, but we did bring in help. We had to hire help. We had to bring in somebody who knew what they were doing, and it was gone in two hours. And uh, and I looked at the 40 <laughs> or 50 hours I spent in that backyard trying to take the street trunk out. That was just, you know, too big for me. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, the only question, the only way I take your analogy further is you know, the the trust that to try to transition this to the internal a little bit. What kind of help is arriving for Xavi? Again, the financial limitations means that if he has a list, I want these four players, I think they're going to make my team better. And the and both Tebas and Barcelona's finances, Alamani and and the like are going to say, well, actually, maybe we can do one, but we're definitely not going to do all four. I mean, I know you and I are dealing with that constantly, that people are saying, hey, what about this player? What about this player? And I'm like, I would love I would love to boost our numbers. I would love to write for Barca Blog about Zubamendi and about this player and this player and this player and do all these profiles about the potential players. But it just, Tebos and the financial situation continues to say, limit your expectations. And that's so difficult <laughs> because people do not want to hear that. They want to be siempre positivo. I, I've heard that before, that term. So people want to be <laughs> always positive about transfers and the like. But I think from Xavi's perspective, right? How does Xavi from the Antorno, other than I guess belief in this contract extension... That could sign him on. You know, right now he's a contract till June 2024, and so if he gets some kind of contract that extends that, does that mean that he Torno, Does that uh, mean that the board has put more faith in him, or does he really truly need to bring in some kind of you know big-brained assistant manager or somebody else to return kind of in some kind of advisory role or something that's going to help him out? Like one of those. It could be both, but do you think that second option is even viable at all, or do you think Xavi needs his people? Right, Oscar Hernandez and the staff that he really really wants
1: That's a very interesting question not one i've actually thought about in terms of who he if he could if he would bring in or could bring in someone else to help him in terms of having a different assistant than his brother i think he what xavi has said himself is that he needs his brother there that that's something that a setup that he wants and likes and and needs to function really so i don't i don't necessarily see that happening i haven't heard anything that any sort of inklings that that might happen but it is an interesting idea, maybe maybe one that Jerry could even consider or think about. I think that that really, like you say, yeah, the, the big big signings don't seem to be happening or unlikely to happen, bar bar sales. I mean, Laporta was speaking about it on Tuesday, an event, and he and he said, yeah, we'll sign a right back. We'll, we're interested in a forward, but we'll have to let a forward go if we if we want one, and maybe we'll sign a centre back. So. Those are the possible areas to improve, and, and you look at the options in those areas, and they're not they're not going to be huge names. It's not going to be they're not signing Reese James or Alexander Arnold or anyone at right back. It's going to be, I mean, Joel Cancelo was the biggest name that's been linked because he's not uh, in favour under Pep Guardiola at City, and he's on loan at Bayern where he's not played a lot either. So maybe that's the most exciting name that Barcelona will be able to get. But it's certainly not the, the players that they're going to sign aren't going to be players that are going to turn things around and let Javi. Play exactly the football that, that he wants to play. I think that, but getting the confidence in terms of getting a new contract, which the porter also said on Tuesday that he's considering or has been thinking about giving Javi, regardless of whether he wins the league or not at this point. And, and Javi himself responded to that and said, "Well, I should win the league. But let's win the list. Win t- let's win trophies first, and then talk about a new contract." Yeah. So, I mean, I think yeah, if he, if, if if he gets his contract and would we'll assume, let's assume he goes on and wins La Liga with a nine point advantage in the league as we record. Um that that will give that'll give both Javi confidence but also it will give if there are any players who have doubts in Javi, it will give them the understanding that he's the, he's not going anywhere. I'm not saying there are players that have doubts in in his setup. I think a lot I think almost everyone is brought in to to what he's asked of them. Whether they've been able to pull it off is a different question. It's a different matter. But it'll will, it'll will sort of secure him in the sense that no, you know, no players going to think oh this guy. You know, like a lot of managers have gone at Barcelona in recent years. That no one will be thinking he'll be gone and we'll yeah. get a new coach. They'll understand that this is his way. And then the extended time is only going to help too with players like Araujo, for example, who, who honestly at first Xavi was not. I didn't think was particularly clever about He didn't didn't play him all the time. Played Eric Garcia a lot. I think right at the start, especially when he was trying to be very faithful to his his style and. Thought that Araujo Javi didn't think that he could he could play necessarily in that way or at least in the short term and undoubtedly Araujo's improved in terms of his distribution and, and being on the ball still not at the level that, that Javi would want probably over the course of well over a year and a half I'm sure it has improved a, a huge amount actually but compared to how to how it was when Javi first arrived but compared to what Javi would want for a centre back yeah. at Barca but. Javi has become more pragmatic in the sense that he says he's seen okay, but this guy actually, regardless of whether he's his passing is incredible or he can split uh, split split lines with balls and stuff, is actually the best defender we've got. And he's 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 decided he's seen that and he's understood it and he's been flexible enough to accept that. And in over the next year, if Araujo keeps improving at the same rate, that's going to help Javi continue with with playing the way he wants to play in. In a certain amount of games, in say 60% of games, you look at most of the home games and a good third or half of the away games against weaker teams, Javi can get this team even without significant reinforcement. Javi will be able to get this team playing the football he wants with time. And we've seen sometimes they've done it and sometimes they haven't. Sometimes they will be up against an opponent who manages or is determined to stop them from doing that. Some, Some opponents aren't determined to stop them from doing that they think they have other they have other ways to attack Barca they don't mind letting Barca have the ball and dominate whereas some opponents don't want Barca to have the ball because they think okay that's how they want to play we won't let them do it We'll make them uncomfortable I think both ways of defending against Barca are perfectly reasonable choices depending on the personnel you have as opposing managers so I don't think we'll ever see a Barca that was as dominant in terms of possession as Guardiola's Barcelona consistently was because of how many opposi- opposition teams thought the only way to stop that from happening was to go into a little shell, go into sort of yeah. tortoise formation sit at the back. Now I think people have realised there are other ways to to combat it. So that 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 level of domination in, in every game is is not something that Barca should be striving for. And even if Xavi at the moment says that it is something that he is looking for. I think deep down he already understands that and his admission after the Madrid game sort of shows this that it's not it's not gonna happen. Football has changed.
0: Well yeah, the Araku point is interesting because I think when we talk about those intangibles on the field, right, getting those results by any means necessary and the personality of teams. Like I, I said against even Valencia that without Pedri, who I, I think while his personality isn't the one that dominates, Pedri allows you to play a certain way. Same thing with Dembele, you rely on him for a style in a certain way. And then, other than Ter Stegen, especially with yeah Lewandowski been gone too, but Lewandowski, I, I think again, I think changes the Barcelona's the options up top and allows you to get that other goal. I mean, know he's out of form, but I don't think Lewandowski radically changes the style because he is that number nine, like he is that stationary, static figure that is up there. And so I find it interesting that it feels like since Pedri and have been out, that Barcelona has almost adapted to the personality of Araujo, like they've almost played the way that Ronald Araujo exemplifies, right? And if you're going to, you know, again, to create the intangible to say, well, even though he doesn't have a captain's armband, a team is almost like, again, taking on and adapting to him. What that tells you is that Xavi is, you know, the man managing part of this, that he is kind of empowering some of Barcelona's best players to be themselves. And whether, again, it's to make the basketball comparisons or soccer, and again, there's football, there's a lot less, again, in in basketball players, it's five on the court, but I think by emboldening, we've seen this across professional sports, that when you embolden your best players to be their best selves and then kind of fill in around them, that generally means that if you've got the best players on the field, you're going to win those games, right? And so by almost taking it and adapting that, and I think that brings up the most important thing too about Xavi and his belief remaining through the rest of the season. Because I, I, now I want to, the final segment I think is to speak about the entorno and to take, speak of the difference between you know media here and media there. Uh, speaking in in Catalonia, that a Barcelona manager struggles and really struggles and basically loses their job if they don't have the belief of their locker room. Like Kike Setien is considered the worst Barcelona manager or had the worst tenure of late because he, if anything, had the least amount of power in there that that they'd never really got on board. And that even under Tata Martino, where he was Argentine, so they thought that that would be, he'd be this Messi whisper, it would work out. But because Messi got hurt that year, then he wound up having three months of that season, an 11 that didn't really back him. And that meant that his time at Barcelona was going to be over. So if Xavi doesn't have his locker room and does not have the full support to have his locker room behind him, his job and his time at Barcelona is already limited. And I think he did kind of admit that. He said, you know, if I don't have my players behind me, then I'll be gone. I'm going to leave. Like that was that was the line he said the other day. I mean, I'm paraphrasing that. But then the other one, too, is about the criticism he gets outside of a locker room, right? Because I think there's two ways that a manager can be pushed out of Barcelona. We saw those that didn't have the locker room, again, like yeah, like a, a Martino, like a Arteta or like a Kike Setien. And then there's those managers that may have had the locker room, but they didn't have the interno, and you actually you put Guardiola in there for burning himself out. You put Luis Enrique in there. You put even Valverde in there. Because I, th- I think Valverde really did have that locker room, but he didn't have the faith of Antorno. And that meant that his time was limited. And again, I, I mean, I argue that he was fired six months too late or six months too early. Like you shouldn't have fired him when you fired him. You should have fired 100%, him after, 100% Liverpool. Agree. Yeah, after Liverpool or in the summertime. But so Xavi said it, in an interview the other day too, because of that criticism that he's currently getting. If someone represents the Barca DNA, it's me. I want my team to have the ball. I sweat cold when it doesn't. But this is not a play. There are always rivals that try to screw you up. Never in my life would I betray the style that has fed me. If I am someone in the world of sport, it's thanks to style of play. If you have a game plan, but you have to adapt to the circumstances, defending is a very important part of football. Then he goes on to say, I, "I we don't need the rest of what he went on to say." But anyway, that sums up the fact that he's getting so much pressure from that Antonio and from that from Catalonia itself that. That's almost pushing him and I hope that doesn't change his ideas and change his ideals to try to adapt to that philosophy. Cause I think again, that pressure is what winds up pushing out a manager. That's the one that burns them out, that that kind of makes them second guess everything they're doing and losing faith. And the last thing I'll say then before I hand it over to you, Rick, for almost the final word here, you know, I have learned after years of doing this and taking in thousands and thousands of messages across social media, you know, I think what not just kool but so many fans in 2023 are so hell-bent on doing is proving why someone else isn't a fan. I feel like that is so much of a discourse. You know, why are you not a proper Kool-Aid? Why do you, what makes kool different than other fans, right? Because kool have to defend the idea of Messi against Ronaldo. They have to defend the idea of Barcelona's style of play. And they have a really hard time defending that Barcelona is a club, that Barcelona holds ideals that are more morally just than so many other clubs, which is what like me, kind of brought me into to Barcelona, wanted me to, to, to root for that team. Those ideals are, again, more and more difficult when Barcelona are, it sounds like they're going back to court over, <laughs> right, over payments to referees and things like that, right? And it makes it difficult for you to defend your club when you're constantly under attack, especially in the English language online. So if you aren't Catalan or Spanish, you don't care about Barca as much and aren't a real fan. That We just know that. If, you have, if I've learned that there's so much of that negativity winds up being projection. Because if, if you become a fan in 2018, you're only a fraction of a fan of someone who's been around since the 90s. Like You, you just don't understand. And and I, I, again, I think those are measures of projection. I think the challenges of being a Barca fan in Japan, or Australia, or Brazil, or even speaking for personal experience in the US, watching games by 15 second buffering intervals for 10 <laughs> plus years before I actually had the ability to watch every game and in HD, I had to watch it with pop up ads and weird lines across the screen, right? And that's how I watched it in 2006 and 2007. So, my concern always is that those voices that are trying to discredit what it means to be a Kool Aid, what it means, uh, we're talking internationally here, that those voices are, it, it gets harder and harder with these social media algorithms changing to support negativity. You know, it feels like those voices. Are those that could potentially dictate change and they can't be ignored at some point. And yet, to completely contradict myself as I hand this over to you, I feel like it really is truly only the voices still from Catalonia that have the most sway. I've asked others in the past, and Frances Tomas would constantly talk about this, but how is the negativity in the belly of the beast in Catalonia different than the negativity elsewhere? Because I think there are changes. Like you're on English media, social media, so you, you know there are differences. And, and is it true still that, like, the Catalan and Terno, that that negativity is just, it's different and has a different sway than, you know, the players that, we'll say, social media and in the English-speaking media want to force out of the club?
1: I think very much different, yeah, in the sense that, and I think this is a, a very good example of this, or very good sort of thing to read kind of about this is Simon Cooper's book on Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And in that, he explains about how, this is Barcelona is a small club gone big time because everyone who works at the club is local. The language of the club is Catalan. For example, the fact that the fact is that everyone who was in sort of a high position at the club is somebody from Catalonia, more or less. You know, there's I know like Matthew Alli for example, is born in Mallorca. But his the point is that almost yeah. everyone at, at, at <laughs> Barcelona is is from. And in around Catalonia is somebody of standing in Catalonia. Sometimes, of, often from a background in that sense, like Joan Laporta, I think he appointed his sister as the club's diversity diversity chief, which is which is funny in itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, even Jordi <laughs> Cruyff falls under that because Jordi Cruyff, yeah, is he? I mean, he is Catalan, but he's yeah, a, exactly. Yeah, right. In, you're right in a roundabout way. Yes, he is Catalan. Yeah.
1: So that, of course, that's going to have a massive, massive impact on on when decisions are taken and how they're taken and who's listened to, when they're taken. At the same, by the same token, there are going to be people do pay attention to what's happening on an international scale. The, the social media team will obviously see everything that comes in in terms of criticism on, on the. I want to use the Spanishism and say the redes because the redes sociales in, in social media in, in Spanish, but on social networks. I I don't think that has the biggest impact. For example, the the there's t- two campaigns that I recall recently. One was about Sergio Busquets when people were demanding that he was taken out of the team. He wasn't taken out of the team no matter how many how many times that trended on Twitter or or anything like that. Uh and in fact he's still crucial to the team to this day and there's going to be talks even this week about uh, perhaps signing him to a new contract for next season because it expires in the summer, obviously. And the other one was Valverde about how there was so much pressure to get him out. And I think that ultimately what, what told was, wasn't was the international pressure on that. It was the, sort of the local pressure and the, well, the yeah, feelings in Barcelona.
0: Could you refresh my mind on both of those counts, Busquets and Valverde? Did that campaign begin in Catalonia or locally and extend, extend out or no, it started internationally and it almost seeped into the Catalonia.
1: Yeah, I think
0: that, that's, that's
1: right. I mean, it's funny. I, w- I was playing football once up near in the sort of the north of Barcelona, which I suppose you know, sort of the west of Barcelona on, on the map, but sort of in the sort of up the hill, basically mm. in Radio Alessandra, the area. And I walked out of the metro station and someone had written on the wall, Valverde out. And I was like, this is the first time I've seen this sort of international hashtag <laughs> yeah. phys- physically present in Barcelona, graffitied on the wall. But I don't think that, don't think that was what forced him out. I think it was, it was more just the local feeling as well was, was that he wasn't playing in the way that, they, that the club wanted and things weren't going well. Things were on a downtrend rather than an uptrend for ahead of the second half of the season, and they, and they just anticipated more disappointment coming. Even as we all know, things got a lot worse after, after they got rid of him. And like you said, Kikasetti never convinced from the first day he came in. His discourse about, oh, I could have. I was, yesterday, I was walking in the field with my cows, or with some cows. Like the players aren't gonna respect him after that kind of comment, and simply that's the way it was from the start. I don't know. I think that. That Barca, nowadays, without Messi, this is the best chance they ever have. I'm not saying they should get rid of, you know, renounce all of the style as 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 they love, have loved it over the years. But right now, with Javi at the helm, if Barcelona are ever going to move away from this style, this is the best chance they've got to do it because it's one of the key exponents of the style is in charge of the club. So if he says look we can't do this anymore we have to play in this way that is the you know one of the very few people who who purist Barter fans would listen to in that yep. regard because he was is was so adamant about it although and of course he's not said this and as you pointed out he said he wouldn't wouldn't give it up even if sometimes the actions we see on the pitch don't necessarily reflect his comments off of it
0: yep i, I think that's that's the perfect way to, to to kind of end this here that yes i mean because of Guardiola's impact at the club, he was seen in a certain way, given him a certain amount of trust. And if you cannot trust Xavi to continue on a certain philosophy at FC Barcelona, and if you cannot continue, uh, believe that Xavi is not the manager who's going to get, especially in catalonia not you on social media, but catalonia the longest leash, then there's nobody. You're right. It's It's got to be him. And it's got to be him to to, to believe that he's going to try to continue on his philosophy to be like Cruyff and be like Gordiola and continue along that line. Because, again, if it's not him, then I don't know who. And whoever who might be different is not going to be so dedicated to the philosophy the way the bar, that Xavi uh, might be, even if it seems like on the field that's different than, than what he wants to do. 100% agree with that. So, Rick, I think, yeah, I think it's a, nothing else to add. There's, there's nowhere to no other place to take it. I, I I think that ends our discussion there. So, obviously, any I find that most who listen to the Barcelona podcast also listen to the Sampre Positivo. Someday, the, the four of us have to have a meeting and compare even the numbers and demographics and where we're getting our, our listeners from because I feel like there's so, so, so much overlap between everybody. But for those of my, what, four listeners who don't listen to Sampre Positivo or have not heard of that, yeah, uh, what's going on over there between you and, and, and Tony and Sam?
1: Yeah, we make pods every Monday for free on wherever you want to get your pods. And then we also have a Patreon page where we release question and answer pods and bonus pods every week. So, well, question and answer every other week. So today we did a bonus pod on Barca's youngsters, Estanis Pedrola and the like, Yamin Lamal, everything like that. So if you want more Barca content, I'm sure you have plenty of it. But if you want more, you know where to get it.
0: Yeah, I do love the way that whenever I'm either writing an article or writing a script for a standalone YouTube video, then I look and, oh, Sam Positivo just dropped on uh, Patreon the exact idea I'm writing about. So <laughs> now it looks like I'm taking from them, of course. But no, a lot of great content, a lot of great stuff. And uh, Tony's analogies are, are one that I always suggest people head over to and uh, and, and listen to and understand. So again, when just quick Sharma. When I was
1: talking about Javi's house earlier, I was thinking, I had Tony in mind. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. Everyone is trying to do their best Tony impression. So, again, that's Sian for Positivo, but also follow Rick uh, down in the show notes below Do Twitter. And then we are on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok as well at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group. That's how we get our questions for some of the listener shows we do. Patreon is how we keep making the shows as well as Sian for Positivo. So, yeah, if you're on Patreon, just subscribe to both already. And then again, we are on YouTube as well at the Barcelona Podcast. Most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.